0: Well, good morning, Scots. It's, it's, a, it's a joy to be with you. Um, if, uh, if you would take a Bible and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter eight. We're going to be looking at just a few verses uh, in Luke chapter eight. And these are verses that I would call uh, flyover verses that in other words, if you were assigned uh, to read through the Gospel of Luke, you would just fly over these verses, they wouldn't probably be memorable to you. Uh, they're not part of a miracle, they're not part of a parable, they're really just a segue from one event in the life of Christ to another. But this morning, we're not going to fly over, we're going to land in Luke 8, 1-3, and uh, see why God saw fit uh, to record these words uh, for us through, through his servant Luke. So, let me read for us Luke 8. Verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means." Well, let me pray for us. Father, it is always a joy to have the opportunity to gather, to sing your praises, and to hear you speak to us. And that's what we pray would happen this morning. We pray, uh, Father, as real as our presence is here to one another, would your presence be here as well and be as real to us. And so we pray to that end for the presence of your Holy Spirit to remove obstacles and things that distract us, to help us to focus in on your word and to receive it and to be challenged and conformed and convinced by it. And we ask this for the sake of Christ's name. Amen. So uh, three years ago, we all had our lives disrupted by this thing called COVID. I don't want to relive that for you, and neither do you want to relive it, I'm sure. But, you know, we had a lot of new things introduced into our lives. Among was new vocabulary. We had terms that we had never used before that we now found ourselves using with some regularity phrases in terms like social distancing, flatten the curve, PPE, and there was another phrase that was introduced uh, during that time period of, uh, called essential workers. Essential workers. We were told that essential workers could, you know, could go about life as normal, but we were all asked to remain at home. I was a non-essential person. But the CDC even published a definition To help people understand whether or not they were an essential worker and here's the definition that still is today on the CDC's website essential workers it says are those who conduct services that are essential to ensure the continuity of critical functions people who are doing something that is so basic and necessary that we need them to continue they are essential in that sense and this morning, the passage we're looking at, we get a glimpse of, into what, who qualifies as an essential worker in God's kingdom. Who in God's kingdom are the people that are necessary to ensure the continuity of critical functions. And this passage tells us something that should not surprise us, and hopefully will not be news to you, but rather just a needed point of emphasis, and that is Jesus is an essential worker in God's kingdom. Hopefully you knew that. Hopefully that had been covered in some of the core curriculum here. But you can't have the kingdom of God without the Son of God. The disciples were essential workers in God's kingdom as well, the 12. You'll learn about them if you haven't. But then also we're told by Luke there is another group, that was performing an essential service critical to the function of God's kingdom. And it was these three women, these women that Luke tells us about, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and did you notice, he doesn't stop there. He says, actually, there were a lot of them. He says, there were many others. And Luke can't imagine telling us the story of God's kingdom without telling us the story of these women because this is how the kingdom advanced is because of the services they were providing, Jesus and the disciples were able to spread and travel and preach the good news. Now, unless you think I'm taking two verses and extrapolating too much from them, this is actually a whole uh, theme throughout Luke's gospel. Luke, from the beginning of his gospel to the end of his gospel, is always bringing women forward to show the critical roles they played in the inbreaking of God's kingdom in this world. He does it, you may remember, at the opening of the gospel, it's Luke who tells us, who gives us the uh, story of Elizabeth and the mother of John the Baptist. It's Luke who gives us the longest account of all four gospels of Mary. It's Luke who is the only gospel writer to tell us about Anna who was waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. In the chapter just previous to where I read this morning, in Luke 7, we get the story of the woman, the anonymous woman, who comes and anoints Jesus with the alabaster flask. In Luke 8, we get the story of these three women who were uh, providing for Jesus and the disciples out of their means. But then fast forward. It's Luke who tells us that when Jesus drew his last breath on the cross, Luke says, in standing there, the only people remaining were the women. And then it's Luke who tells us in Luke 24 that the first people to visit the grave were the women and to return and report the resurrection. I would say Luke is, is going out of his way to make a point throughout his gospel that women played a critical role in God's kingdom. And once again, Luke can't imagine telling us the story of Christ and his kingdom without telling us the story of the women who were involved in it in very essential ways. But perhaps you didn't need the Bible to tell you that in the sense of if you come from a church background, as I imagine many of you do, I imagine if you thought back to your own upbringing, the people who were the energizing forces in many of your churches, were the women. Were the women who taught you, who, who cared for you, who told you they prayed for you? That these, is often the case, as it was true in the life and ministry of Jesus, continues to be true in his church today, that women play this critical and essential role in the advancement of God's kingdom. Now call me old-fashioned, because I am old. But you can call me old-fashioned, but I think we ought not to, to be afraid to talk about things that Scripture talks about. That if the Bible emphasizes something, we ought not to hesitate to emphasize it as well. Luke names women by name. He names three of them, and he doesn't just name them by name. He tells us why he's naming them, because this is what they did, and this was the result Of their contributions and generosity to God's kingdom. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke throughout this gospel to name, to note these women by name, and to celebrate their contributions. And we ought not to hesitate to do the same today. You know, I'm an ordained minister, as you heard, in the Presbyterian Church in America, and I believe God has limited the ordained offices of the church to men qualified men i should say but in it's possible in a denomination like the one i'm a part of that people might somehow conclude then that men are more essential to the life of god's kingdom and we should be ashamed to ever either uh, helped people draw that conclusion or have drawn it ourselves the gospel of luke reminds us that women are essential Workers in God's kingdom essential as anybody and as far as Luke is concerned Jesus and his disciples Could not have been spreading the good news of the kingdom were it not for the the work the productivity and generosity of these women That they were critical to its function And so may we never permit ourselves to think or our churches to think anything other than the essential and critical nature of women in God's kingdom and its advance But notice Luke goes out of his way to publicly identify them, publicly reference them, publicly celebrate them. And we ought not to hesitate to do the same. You know, Luke mentions these three women by name, and we know a little bit about them. Mary, called Magdalene, we're told here has experienced great grace. She's personally experienced the power of Jesus Christ because he cast out seven demons. That she knows that this is the Son of God because she has personally experienced his power in her life. We're also told that these other women, that we don't know much about them, had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. These were people who weren't just fans of Jesus, but rather they were followers who had personally experienced his transforming power it had changed their freed them from things that had held them captive for years and probably ravaged their lives. We're also told in verse three that one of these women actually comes from the upper class of society, Joanna, her, her, her husband Kusa is the chief of staff for the governor. Uh, Joanna is not one who probably is familiar with domestic duties because she was of a class that she had people performing domestic duties for her. And so from different classes of society people were experiencing the transforming power of jesus and it was transforming them because they were now spending their time and their money differently so what does this uh passage mean for us today well you know first of all we can't just glance over the fact that jesus came to free people from really devastating things he came to free women from really devastating things, from the power of sin, from the power of sickness and suffering, from the power of Satan in their lives. And these women had personally experienced Jesus's power and believed him to be the son of God. And that changed everything for them. It changed the way they, they spent the money from their bank account. It changed the way they used their callings to generate uh, profit, so that they could support Jesus and his ministry. And similarly today, uh, we, as we experience the freeing power of Jesus, Jesus's power transforms us. It changes how we order our lives and what we consider valuable. But I would hope also, as we think about this passage, that one of the things that we would walk away with is, women, you are needed. You are needed, valued, and critical to the advancement of God's kingdom in this world. It won't happen apart from you. As I said earlier, uh, women are often the energizing forces in every church. Uh, It's been my experience, and I I trust for many of you, it's been the same. But though that's been the case, I can't say from my experience that they have, that the churches I've been a part of, and I say this as a, a guilty party, uh but that we have named them celebrated them identified them publicly made them visible like Luke does throughout his gospel and we ought to we ought to celebrate the many ways that women continue to advance God's kingdom you know this is not a a phenomena uh confined to Luke you may remember Paul in his letters he mentions people by name and in Romans he mentions nine different women by name to celebrate to say please tell them how appreciative I am of the things they've been doing and continue to do in Romans he refers to uh, Phoebe in Romans 16 as a patron of mine he says were it not for her I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things I did it even goes further in Philippians He refers to two women in Philippians as women who've labored by my side in the gospel. He refers to them as co-workers in the gospel. And so we ought not, once again, be afraid to talk in ways that scripture talks. But if you're not convinced by scripture of the essential nature that women have always had and continue to have in the kingdom of God, perhaps you'll be convinced by demographics. Because according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, The average Christian in the world today is a 20-something non-white woman living in Asia, Africa, or Latin America. That's the average Christian in the world today. So, literally, the kingdom's not going to advance apart from women putting their gifts and skills to use. It was true for Jesus, and it continues to be true in the church today. God continues to use the sacrificial generosity and gifts of women to spread the good news of his kingdom. Now, you might think uh, that uh, this point of emphasis that I'm making this morning from these verses is uh, perhaps something of a, a cultural trend that I'm picking up on. That, in other words, would, would this same message be preached in the 19th century uh, if, if we were gathered in a place like this? Well, I'll point you to the Evangelical Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle. He was the uh, a very uh, respected Anglican Bishop of the 19th century uh, who continues, his writings continue to uh, be, uh, have impact today. And he wrote a commentary on the gospels. And when it comes to this passage that we're considering this morning in Luke chapter eight, this is what J.C. Ryle had to say, quote, it was not a woman who sold the lord for 30 pieces of silver they were not women who forsook the lord in the garden and fled it was not a woman who denied him three times in the high priest house but they were women who wailed and lamented when jesus was led forth to be crucified they were women who stood to the last by the cross and they were women who were first to visit the grave where the lord lay end quote jc ryle recognized that it, it is easy to see in scripture and perhaps from our own experience that women are often the examples of what deep abiding faith looks like should look like that as he says they should be held forth in for our imitation an example as luke does here so we should continue to do in our own day But, you know, you can't uh, preach a message like this, talking about how we should name and celebrate the contributions of women without actually naming and celebrating the contributions of a particular woman like Luke does here. And so I do want to point you to a woman that, that we should publicly celebrate and who we continue to benefit from her generosity today. And that is the woman for whom this building is named. And that's Dora McClellan Brown. So Dora McClellan Brown, you probably don't know her story. I lived in a dorm in college named after a family. I have no idea who those people were. But Dora McClellan Brown was born in 1897 and lived here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And she, her family business did well. So she had money. She had resources. She was like a Joanna type in that sense. and so, But she was also a woman who was deeply committed to Jesus Christ and was passionate about the study of God's word. And she believed that her calling was to help more people be exposed to the gospel and to the sound teaching and preaching of God's word. And so Dora, instead of buying homes on the Riviera, which she could have done with the amount of money she had, she instead put her money in a foundation and gave instructions to make sure that it would be given away to promote the teaching and preaching of God's word and the advancement of God's kingdom. Uh, her money is still today held in what's called the Generosity Trust here in Chattanooga. And every year, Dora McClellan Brown died in 1974, I believe. Every year, her foundation continues to provide scholarships so that. People can go to seminary, get counseling degrees, and other sorts of Christian graduate schools and become missionaries and ministers and counselors around the world. 50 years almost since her passing, and that fund is still going. And it blessed this college with this building as well. She could have done a lot of things with the resources that God had given her, but she was a woman who had experienced the freeing power of Jesus Christ and she wanted to see others experience that freeing power and so it is appropriate that we name and celebrate the contributions of women like Dora McClellan Brown but it's also important in our own churches with people who are living today that we we don't just walk around and note we all know who many of the godly women in our churches are and we're so thankful for them but scripture provides us an example that we can talk about them by name. That's okay. <laughs> we can publicly celebrate them. We can publicly thank them for the work that they do to advance God's kingdom. And so, just like Luke does here and Scripture does elsewhere, and Dora McClellan-Brown and others you may know, may we learn from and model our lives after these generous women, and let us never forget maybe the two most important words in this whole passage, many others. Luke wants to make it clear. He's just naming three, but there was a lot of them. There were many others. And may may we imitate the many others who continue today to give willingly and faithfully, having experienced the freeing power of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've spread in your church and the many contributions that women have made during the life and ministry of Jesus and the, the contributions they continue to make today. Father, we pray, forgive us when we've been hesitant to name them, to celebrate them, to elevate them as Scripture does. Father, forgive me uh, when I've done that. But we pray, may, may you help us in our own lives to see the, the women you've put in our lives who... Who contribute to our own growth and godliness and may we thank them and celebrate them but father we pray that you would uh, continue even through this college to raise up a generation of, of Doras for days and years to come who have having experienced the freeing power of jesus are eager to see others experience it well and we ask this in jesus name amen